0: Next, this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. ReachMD is taking an in-depth look at how medicine is working toward health and longevity for people around the world. Join us all this month for the latest medical research and treatment across borders.
1: Our system for procuring organs in the United States is based on altruism. But unfortunately, this system continues to fall short of demands, creating a shortage in transplantable organs that causes unnecessary deaths. As a means to meet the demands in other countries around the world, various forms of payment have been considered, and some are in use today. How would the concept of financial incentives work here in the United States? You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. And our guest is Dr. Arthur Matus, Professor of Surgery and Director of the Renal Transplant Service at the University of Minnesota Medical School. Welcome, Dr. Matus. Thank you. Dr. Matus, of patients who wait five years for a kidney, I believe only about 35% is the survival rate. And others who wait frequently accumulate comorbidities while waiting. How frustrating is this?
0: I think it's a huge problem. The survival and dialysis for a diabetic patient in this country is 30% at five years. And so to not have organs for these patients when you know it is both a life-saving and a quality-of-life-improving operation is frustrating, and it's particularly frustrating because it's a situation that's getting worse.
1: Well, one avenue which you've expressed support for involves financial incentives. What do you mean by that?
0: We've thought about trying a policy or a change in policy to try and remove some of the disincentives from donating and even considering providing incentives for people to proceed with donation. Some people don't donate because they don't have health insurance, and obviously, as you know, there's over 45 million people in this country without health insurance. Some people don't donate because they may change jobs and they're worried that they'll lose insurance. Some people don't donate because they can't afford being off work for six weeks and losing the income. We could eliminate all those disincentives and perhaps increase donation and perhaps, again, increase it further by providing some small incentives.
1: But who would incentives come from?
0: In the system that I've proposed, it would come from the government. The government pays for dialysis and transplantation in this country, and dialysis is extraordinarily more costly than transplantation. So the government could actually provide these incentives or removal of disincentives without increasing the cost of health care.
1: Just generally, what would be an amount that would be a reasonable financial incentive
0: It's hard to know what would be a reasonable financial incentive, but we've done a a model of outcomes and what the costs would be to the insurer, in this case the government or a private insurance company, and concluded that it would save the payer about $100,000 per transplant over a 20-year model. So that would give you about $100,000 per transplant to pay for the infrastructure involved in a program like this, plus the incentives for the donor. And the incentives could, you know, be a one-year term life insurance policy, which has a specific price, access to Medicare or the VA system, which has a specific value, a college tuition benefit, tax benefit, any number of things.
1: Now, when you have presented this model to others, physicians, administrators, insurance companies, what's generally their responses?
0: I think that everybody's first reaction to something like this is that it just doesn't feel right if it's the first time you've really heard about it or thought about it to actually try and provide incentives for donors to come forward. But when people start thinking about it in a little more detail and realizing that our current altruistic or gift model system is resulting in patients dying while waiting and others suffering on dialysis... Um, then people's reaction changes a little bit, and they sort of start thinking about it a little more and favoring it a little bit more.
1: Now, I've read that Iran actually has a regulated legal system of remuneration, and it's also legal in the Philippines. Is that correct?
0: I think it's very important to state very specifically what we're talking about, and in the Philippines, they have a market system, really an unregulated system. It's legal, but it's unregulated, and in those kinds of situations, the donors don't get the care that we expect donors to get. There's no follow-up. There's no guarantee that the donor gets whatever they've been promised, so I think we need to totally stay away from consideration of market or unregulated systems. The Iranian model is a little bit more complicated in that there is a payment from the government, but it's also expected that the recipient makes a payment to the donor. So I think it maybe is a little bit closer to what I'm proposing, but it's not something we would want to emulate. What we've proposed for the United States is a government incentive that's paid directly to the donor. The donor and recipient, for all practical purposes, should not meet. There should be no opportunity for the donor to ask for anything else from the recipient. And the kidney is allocated to the number one person on the list so that all the recipients on the list have the opportunity to be transplanted.
1: Why would Iran be the only country in the world that has a regulated system?
0: I can't answer that question for sure. What they say is that with the first Iran-Iraq wars that they basically had no dialysis and no transplant. And they were trying to find a way to save the lives of the people with renal failure. And it was cost effective for them to move towards a system like this because dialysis is so expensive. It's not a country that you get a lot of information from, so it's hard to sort it out.
1: And altruistic donations, what will happen to them if we have this new system? I think there are two possibilities.
0: One is that they will continue, because even with this new system, there will still be lots of reasons to have altruistic donation. A recipient may want to know who the donor is, or they may get transplanted sooner with an altruistic donor. So there may be lots of reasons to continue. But the reality, if altruistic donations go down, but the total number of donations go up, that's good. I don't see that as a problem. The results of kidney donation from the stranger down the street is exactly the same as the results of kidney donation from a relative, assuming that all the tests and everything are okay.
1: If you have just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. Arthur Matus, Professor of Surgery and Director of the Renal Transplant Service at the University of Minnesota Medical School. We are discussing global lessons towards reducing the organ shortage in the United States. Dr. Matus, what about black market troubles? What about people trying to pay exorbitant amounts to get someone's kidney or another organ?
0: I think all of us who are in support of a regulated system of incentives are totally opposed to black markets. And if you think about it, the black markets exist in the current environment of the organ shortage and all the laws against commercialization or sales of organs. So I would argue that if we developed a regulated system and increased the number of organs available, it would significantly decrease this black market. Remember, a big difference between the black market is that it's only going to be available for the rich whereas a regulated system of compensation will allow allocation of the kidneys to everyone.
1: I know some years ago on the street, people thought that the reason that Mickey Mantle got his transplant so rapidly was because of some sort of uh, priority he was given or some remuneration. Do you think that was the case?
0: Now, that situation, as have a couple of other celebrity transplant situations, have been investigated so thoroughly, and the conclusions were clear in in each of these, that the appropriate rules were followed for allocating to someone who was sick and getting increasingly sick without a transplant. So, I think that even though that was sort of the rumor on the street, the data would support the fact that all our allocation rules were followed properly.
1: You've made a push for some clinical trials to investigate our options here. Could you expand upon these, please?
0: Well, first of all, one needs to change the law to allow any trial of incentives. But once that law is changed, then I've not argued for any specific incentive. I think that different areas of the country ought to be allowed to try whatever policy that they think might work, incentives for living donation, incentives to donation, or any combination of incentives. And I think these trials ought to be done in a way in which we follow the donors, make sure the donors do okay, and we can see whether organ donation goes up or goes down, and we will learn whether or not incentives can really make a difference.
1: Are there any trials to date here in the United States?
0: No, and it would be illegal to do one under the current North American Transplant Act.
1: Well, Dr. Matus, how are you going to initiate this whole process?
0: Well, my role is to talk about it and try and convince people that it's a good idea, but the ultimate initiation is going to have to come from a change in the law in Congress. And our hope is that someone from the Senate or Congress will initiate this change, recognizing the tremendous need for organs.
1: It's also been said that diseases get much better funding when someone in the legislature has a family member and such who contracts that disease. Do you think that something like that will have to happen?
0: Well, it certainly won't hurt if someone in the legislature has a family member who needs to go on the list for organ donation and understands what that tremendous wait time on the list does in terms of deterioration in health and quality of life. But my hope is that we can move this forward without something like that happening. It's not something you want to wish for.
1: Are there other systems in other countries that we can learn from? There are no systems. You mentioned the Iranian
0: system, but there are really no systems of a regulated system of compensation. And again, the regulated, I think, is a key word with the appropriate oversight and controls. And I think the only way we're going to be able to learn about this is by doing the trials in the United States.
1: What if we combine presumed consent with monetary incentives, a kind of a hybrid plan, or even a national registry as well? Is that something that you might find uh, acceptable?
0: I'll find acceptable anything that works that allows protection of the donor and maintenance of both dignity and respect of the donor. I mean, our current system, donors are heroes, and I really believe that we have to, in any system we initiate or develop, continue To treat the donors as the heroes that they are. But I don't think that our attempts should be limited to any one thing. I think anything that adds a few kidneys to the system or livers or hearts, and again, following the respect of the donor, et cetera, as part of it, is worth pursuing.
1: Now, the United States has the best transplant outcomes in the world. Is that correct?
0: Well, they're certainly among the best. I can't tell you for sure that they are the best.
1: If we can create a working system of some of the things you've talked about, perhaps we can set an example for the rest of the world, yes?
0: That's one of the arguments that we've made because one of the counter-arguments to our proposal is that if we make this a legal system in the United States, people will use it as an example of how to develop unregulated systems elsewhere. And I find that argument kind of silly. It seems to me exactly as you say, if we can develop a model in the United States to show that this increases donation and at the same time the donors can be protected, followed up, and shown to be doing well, then that could serve as a model for other countries, particularly in the Western world. It's hard to imagine how this could be applied to third world countries, but certainly it could be a model for the Western world.
1: I want to thank our guest, Dr. Arthur Matus. We've been discussing global lessons towards reducing the organ shortage in the United States. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. And thank you for listening.
0: You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at reachmd.com.